Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Weekend previews are always big, and this is another big one as Liverpool face Manchester City. We have a super clásico. We have El Tráfico as well. Ronald Koeman and Barcelona, by the time that you listen or watch this, maybe he's gone already. We will see. We will discuss. Weekend preview. Kigo Lasso, James Bench, Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad begins right now. Everybody, welcome to Kigo Lasso, our weekend preview. It's a big one. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, uh, follow us on Twitter, Kigo Lasso Pod, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CBS Sports, your CBS Sports app, YouTube.com forward slash Kigo Lasso. By the way, we apologize in advance. We know that our Champions League recap from last night came out a little early on audio. It was straight away or at least closer to that on YouTube, but on audio a little bit later. So we apologize, but it's there. And by the way, this content is free. All right. So don't complain that much. <laughs> but we appreciate you. And also, fellas, it's a record month. For Kego Lasso, the most downloaded ever. We're so happy. Thank you so much, everybody, for that. Uh, let's say some hellos here. Let's begin with James Bench. Bench, how are you, bud? Oh, well, I'm great. Record month for Mikel Arteta. Record month for okay. Kego Lasso podcast. I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the weather is... The weather arsenal is propaganda. The weather has finally turned in Britain. Tonight, I'm going to my first game in which I will be wearing gloves. I know that for you guys on the West Coast, you're probably unaware of these. They're things you wear on your hands when it gets cold, <laughs> which it does a lot in the UK. Uh, yeah, I got West Ham tonight in their first Europa League group stage game at the London Stadium. I'm buzzing for this and buzzing for this weekend. I love it. I love it. Heath Pierce, do you share that sentiment? If Arteta wins, we win. Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the he's he's of the people and for the people. But I do also want to say that I knew the weather turned uh, for those that are listening to this on audio because James Bench has his colorful, tropical, uh, flowery, just, uh, you know, sort of like a rem reminiscent of uh, summer and fall as he heads into, uh, you know, uh, despair of the uh, rainy months uh, in the UK. Yes, it was very Don Johnson, Miami Vice. I like it very much. Uh, Jimmy Conrad, how are you, bud? I'm great. I am not here for the Arsenal propaganda, but I... Uh, <laughs> Neither am I. I am, with you. Don't worry. I am just kidding. I'm excited. I'm ready for the Newcastle propaganda. So whenever they want to start playing well, I, uh, I'm ready to just lay it on thick for everybody here. But can I just say real quick, Jimmy, the whole point is when you set the bar really low, you set a new record pretty quickly. <laughs> That's, fair. That's, fair. That's fair. We're not talking about winning things here. We're just talking about just a, a record short window. That's uh, something to get excited about. That's that, that scene in the office where it's however many days without unnecessary incident. And I think we've only got to 10. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to describe. But let's begin in the Premier League, everybody. Thank you so much for being part. And we begin with a big one. As Liverpool, the best offensive team in the Premier League, against the best defensive team right now, Manchester City at Anfield on Sunday. This is a big game, 11.30 Eastern, of course. Uh, Mohamed Salah is on fire. Man City comes off from winning against Chelsea in the Premier League, but losing against PSG midweek in the Champions League. 
Obviously, this is always an intriguing match on Jurgen Klopp against Pep Guardiola. First against second right now, Liverpool top with Man City second. James Bench, let's begin with you. What say you of this big, big game on Sunday? I mean, who on earth knows? This is constantly, uh, the game changes every time. You know, you look at it and there are these little runs at, at the moment. Guardiola's won two of the last three quite heavily, scoring four goals. But then you kind of think, well, a lot of that last game goes out the window because he was playing whatever team Liverpool could put out at the time. You know, as you say, this Liverpool offense right now is next level back to back to where it used to be even before they won the title. Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, top two on non-penalty XG, as you say, Liverpool scoring for fun. But this City defence looks really tough to break down. I think Rodri might have been, you know, one of the breakout. You know, he's having an even better season this season than he did last. Uh, Laporte looks top solid next to uh, to Ruben Diaz. I think maybe th this might be, I mean, we'll talk about how this game gets won. I'm really excited to see what Jack Grealish does against a Liverpool team that are potentially going to be without Trent Alexander-Arnold and always look a little bit vulnerable in those fullback spots. Grealish pretty much playing as a left winger and playing fantastically. And I think kind of we'll talk about our own ideas, but for me, he's looking like he might be the X factor uh, on at uh, the weekend. Yeah, I fully agree with, with, with uh, what James just said. Obviously I think it could be a matchup between um, Grealish and James Milner, which, you know, if you're Man City, uh, I, I like that matchup. That's what could control a lot of that game is trying to disrupt that, that Liverpool side and just keep them, uncomfortable obviously Man City haven't done traditionally well um playing at Liverpool and so I think they could struggle for long periods and and as you mentioned there's there's just the form of of Sané and Salah Mo Salah I can't remember the the last time that he, I mean obviously I think he's getting he could have even more goals uh than he currently has now but the form that he's in it's really tough to to uh coach against or prep for I will say though uh saying that in the form that they're in it's bizarre to think that they came out only with a point against Brentford obviously that was a punch for punch match but it showed there are some vulnerabilities in the team and their inability to put games away when they have the chance to and uh, allowing teams to to just linger longer and longer Man City obviously a completely different type of team uh and a completely different type of approach to this match yeah I'm gonna start with Jurgen Klopp being the most successful manager ever against Pep Guardiola uh, with nine victories from their 21 previous encounters. And with this one at Anfield in front of fans, last season when the city came to Anfield, they won. It's going to be a little bit different in front of the cop, in front of a, a raucous crowd that I do think has a lot of influence on the result. And I do think it's intimidating. Whether you are Manchester City or, you know, a smaller club, it doesn't matter. Like, it's still an intimidating thing, whether you've been there five times, ten times, n never. So so it's... it's uh, I think that all plays into it a little bit. And Jurgen Klopp does seem to have Pep Guardiola's number. My one concern for Liverpool is that you're going to rely on Virgil van Dijk and Joel Matip to potentially play three straight games in a week. And they've shown some vulnerabilities, whether it's against Porto, where they do give up chances. They gave up three to Brentford. So if City can come out and kind of show that bite that those two teams have to have, the smaller clubs have to have, they even have a chance against Liverpool, against these two center backs that have already shown maybe they're not at their peak form yet, but they're rounding into that form. That's what City has to do. Now, they're unfortunate, right? They started their week against Chelsea and was superb on both sides of the ball, did what they needed to do to get a 1-0 result at Stamford Bridge. And then they went to PSG and Bernardo Silva scores that tap in. I don't know how he misses that. He could have he could have walked it in and taken like 17 touches and walked that one in instead of trying to do it first time, hit the crossbar. We're probably talking about a different result. Potentially not. I mean, Messi did what he did at the end to, to win the game anyway, and that might have happened regardless. But I, I think the margins were very fine in that game against PSG. So 
This is an interesting one. And then the same thing, right? You have, are you going to go with Stones? Stones hasn't played at all yet for City, but he's ready to go. Do you give him a break and let, or put him in and give Laporte a break next to Diaz? I mean, they've got some options. And when I look at the depth between the two teams, I think City's got a little bit more to potentially tweak and get an advantage here over Liverpool. All right, give me 15 seconds of those betting tips, and then I'm going to go around the table because I think the Anfield thing is going to be a major factor, Jimmy Conrad. And by the way, everybody, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but this exact fixture last season, Man City won 4-1. So, you know, they might come out guns blazing, maybe a response after PSG. What do you say with the betting tips perspective? Very quick. Yeah, very quickly. I, I think that this is going to be a draw. <laughs> Just because I think that both of these teams – know what's at stake here and if either one of them wins it gives them a little bit more distance in the table and i just think that they have too much quality on both sides and i think it's going to end in a draw i like it plus 250 is pretty good value for both of these teams yeah i'm going to go with the draw as well i think with phil foden kevin de bruyne back on it's going to neutralize some of the free flow that liverpool do have in the attack they're going to be forced to make some more of those adjustments next to Grealish, and uh therefore i'm going to go with a draw i'm going to go one one uh, I mean, I can convince myself <laughs> that any result at all, I really like how Liverpool are attacking. And as good as City have been, they haven't played. No one has played a team as good as Liverpool are attacking right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, Jimmy made such a good point about the Anfield crowd. And I think actually that for me is going to be the swing factor. I think it's going to be a good game. I think Liverpool are going to edge it 2-1. Yep, I totally agree. I'm going with that exact result. And I go again because of what Jimmy said as well. Anfield, I think. I just think... Mohamed Salah has not been talked about enough in this uh, uh, specific moment right now. The quickest player to reach 100 goals in the Premier League. And I think he's going to be a major factor. 2-1 Liverpool-Man City, but we will see what happens. Let's move on. Let's talk about the red side of Manchester as they host Everton. Manchester United against Everton at Old Trafford. Manchester United come off a loss to Aston Villa this past weekend, but they beat Villarreal. Uh, both obviously relying a lot on individual frailties and successes. Ronaldo, of course, scoring for Villarreal in the end, and Bruno Fernandes missing that penalty against Villa. Let's begin with Heath Pierce, Manchester United. What say you, my friend? We did talk about them uh, during the Champions League. What do you say here against Everton and Rafa Benitez, who obviously are doing pretty well? Yeah, I think Everton have been very good. I still think this is in the hands of Manchester United. I don't know how or why I'm I'm saying it's in the hands of Manchester United. Maybe because I'm giving credit to that individual uh, capabilities that they have. For long periods against Villarreal, they looked the lesser team. They looked the fragile team. They looked like the team that were going to give up all of the points. And so perhaps I'm giving them too much credit. But when I look at the firepower of then, and perhaps you're, you're looking at a at a rotated squad as well, where we start to see some of that depth come back onto the field where Greenwood can have an increased role, obviously being one of the younger players and, and you've got to rest and rotate some of these guys. Cause that's what, that's what I want to see. Uh, the tinkering of this team uh, in a way that's, that's making you have to answer the question is, is Ronaldo and, and is, is uh, Fernandez in the right positions on the field? What do you then do with the rest of the firepower that you have with Sancho, with Greenwood, with Martial and uh, with, um, Lingard with a number of these players around around them that you you're underutilizing, and this is an opportunity right now for you to sort of test your own wits uh, if you're Ole Gunner to, to to roll out a different team to see if you can get a better result that's more co- cohesive as a group. Yeah, I like those points from Heath. What I would add is that United haven't lost at home to Everton since 2013, so you got to throw that into uh, the equation if you're going to be leaning one way or the other with regard to bets or whatever it may be. But I also think that. They have to parlay this momentum. And I don't know if Ronaldo's going to get these starts, right? He is, despite how he looks, he is aging. And and I think you have to be 
thoughtful about this. So this is going to be a good test to see yeah. who Ole Gunnar rolls out, especially to test their depth. Now, on the Everton side of things, no Richarlson and no Dominic Calvert-Lewin until after the international break. So that is a big loss for their attack. Solomon Rondon, though, Jimmy no, Conrad. No, I'm not putting any respect on Solomon Rondon's name. I know that he can be a handful of times. I didn't mind the two center backs in midweek against Villarreal in, in uh, the Champions League. It was their outside backs that I thought, especially mm. on, the, on the right side where they got uh, taken advantage of. Dan Juma from Villarreal was having a field day with Diego Dalot. Uh, I think that Aaron Wambasaka will come in back into the team. Looks like Lindelof and Varane will probably start. And then Luke Shaw's doubtful. Maybe Bench has a little bit more info on that. But we have, even if Alex Tellis plays, obviously scoring a banger midweek will probably give him some confidence. I think that United have to win this game. They have to win this game. If they really want to stay close and be a part of that, that, that conversation about winning the title, these are the games they have to win. And I think they will, especially without Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin in the team. I can't believe we've got all the way through this Manchester United talk and not mention just vibes because... That's what Man United are. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's vibey Reds. They're yeah, just, you know, they're, so there's, true. There's, there's just nothing to them except hopes and prayers and sort of, you know, it's maybe. So true. It's so some, true. Sometimes Ronaldo will do it and sometimes he won't. I, I mean, I'm, and actually, I think one thing we should mention is how, I wouldn't say Rafa Benitez is one round Everton fans, but I think at least he's earned their respect because this is a really hard team to play against. They're a really hard team to get into the Everton penalty area. It's classic Rafa ball that, that Jimmy will know well. You mm-hmm. know, they, they're not pretty, but they're really hard to play against. I think we're one of the lowest teams uh, in terms of opponent touches in the box. And then at the other end, sometimes it's a bit of individual magic. Andros Townsend. Andros Townsend is, is, is proving an awful lot of people, myself included, wrong. I always thought he was just long shots and wasteful possession. He presses Every really season, hard. he has a banger. Every season. It's has crazy. He had, has he had this season's? I, I think he Yeah, he had really a really good game that. a few weeks ago. A really good goal a few weeks ago. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Against but he'll do the pressing then. He'll, he'll just do that instead. He is like, he's yeah. one of the best pressing wingers in the Premier League right now. And I think against someone like Tellez that has looked very vulnerable under much pressure. You know, I think that these sort of things could tell because Ole won't come up with plans for it. And I don't, he's not a tactical manager. When he tries tactics, he does things like putting Diego Dalot in field against Arno (laughs) Danjuma. (laughs) How can you be optimistic going into any Man United game? Uh, I I agree with you. Hey, by the way, That's every amazing. every winger grows up being wanted to be called a great pressing winger, the best pressing <laughs> winger in the Premier League. Uh, that's that's what you go out there to do. So I'm sure that's uh, a huge God, a huge compliment. He, he's not very good, but God, he works hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the best compliment of all. I mean, to be fair, that wins fans. Uh, that wins most fans in most leagues uh, in the world. Is that uh, willingness to press and fight for the team? Classic track back of Thierry Henry to do a tackle and then get back up top and everybody claps and cheers and uh, gets excited. But yeah, th- this one, this one's, uh, this one's a bit of a toss up. As 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 Benj mentioned, I think they're a difficult opponent to break down. But I do think uh, it's a it's a rare opportunity for Ole Gunnar to not have to roll out the big names and big stars, which I think could lead to an advantage for Manchester United, who look to have a little bit more cohesion at times before Ronaldo came in in terms of the relationship between uh, Greenwood and Fernandez, as well as. Uh, Martial within the team and just sort of uh, I want to see a bigger role from Sancho I mean you spent all this money on him you brought him in can you give him a can you give him a run of games in a position where he's best suited to 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 contribute and and be dangerous and this could be that one yeah and I will say that I just don't know who Ole Gunnar is going to start I don't think anybody does so will he actually have the courage to sit 
Bruno Fernandez and Cristiano Ronaldo, knowing that it's a long season. It's a marathon, not a sprint in a lot of competitions. Now, quickly, I think that Man United are going to win this game. So if you think they're going to win with a clean sheet because David De Gea has been standing on his head, which he has been, that is plus 130. But if you think Everton can nick a goal, then I think that Man United would win both teams to score. That's plus 230. So those are the two lines I'm looking at, and maybe you should consider it too. Love it. I love it. By the way, if Everton win and things go their way above them as well, they will not only jump Manchester United, but they'll go top of the table if things go their way, uh, of course. So, you know, we shouldn't completely disregard how important this is for Everton as well. But I'm with James Bench. It's just about the vibes for Manchester United. They just completely rely on individual talent. And with that, let's discuss the remaining uh, Premier League matches, of course, uh, for the weekend. Burnley against Norwich. Norwich! Wake up, Norwich. Chelsea hosts Southampton. Leeds United as well in trouble. They host Watford. Wolves, Raul Jimenez and Wolves against Jimmy Conrad's Newcastle. Brighton, who are looking good as well. They host Arsenal. That should be a good one. And on Sunday, we have a very packed schedule as well. Palace, Leicester, Tottenham against the greatest club in the history of the world. West Ham (laughs) against Brentford. And of course, Liverpool against Manchester City. James Bench, anything from those games uh, that that you are particularly looking at? Obviously, uh, Brighton, Arsenal as well. Yeah, I mean, I certainly will obviously be looking at that. But I think one thing to maybe keep your eye on on a bigger perspective, there's going to be quite a few young, talented England players with a bit of a chip on their shoulder after Gareth Southgate named his squad today. So not just the likes of uh, Ben White, who didn't get a call up in Emile Smith-Rowe for Arsenal, who Southgate said was very close. And I know he'll be pushing to get that. But even someone like Conor Gallagher at Crystal Palace, you know, being an outstanding uh, player, looks like (laughs) like Mason Mount 2.0. Um, there's a lot of players who are going to be going into this weekend's games determined to either prove a, a long-term point to Southgate or, you know, position themselves. There are some players like Mount that are, uh, and Reese James that are injury doubts. So it's going to be a good day, a good weekend for young English talent, I think. Yeah. And I'm going to jump in and talk about Chelsea because they've lost two games on the trot. And even though, yes, against Man City and against Juventus, who decided to actually look like the old Juventus for a little while in the Champions League, I'm kind of curious. This feels like a little bit of a quote-unquote crisis because they've only gotten one shot over those two goals. And I'm curious to see what kind of lineup they're going to put out against Southampton. Now, they haven't lost three straight games since October 2015, so it's been a while. But I feel like Tuchel, not necessarily, there's no, he's not on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination, but... They brought in Lukaku to, to, to kind of solve this problem, and it's not solving the problem currently against some of the biggest clubs. And that's a bit of a concern. So I'm curious to see whether Southampton can take advantage of this vulnerability or if Southampton's going to be the whipping boy because Chelsea's pissed. I kind of want to see which Chelsea version or which version of Chelsea shows up. It's interesting. Uh, ben just talking about the, the international break and the young players coming through. I think it's always that weird mix with young guys where you almost want them to stay at their clubs. When you're at the biggest clubs, the clubs are completely depleted during international breaks, right? So there's nowhere to stay with your club and improve your situation. When you're in some of the smaller clubs and a young, you're a young player coming through, being called into the national team can be a detriment because the whole club is there. The whole team is there. Maybe they get a couple of days off, but for the most part, they're training, right? And, and maybe this isn't the case so much with the Premier League because you have so many international players uh, from all over the world. But now you have this opportunity, as you said, going into the weekend, especially for Arsenal, uh, to get a result against a team that's been in form, right? Obviously, Brighton get that 95th minute uh, draw where they w- could have dropped all points, but showing again uh, that uh, they're they're competitive. And by the way, Crystal Palace on six points 
hurts my feelings at this point in the season to watch them play. <laughs> and I said it when they were on five points, and then time went by, and now they're on six points, that they are a very good team. They're really fun to watch, and I, I'm just surprised that, that they haven't uh, found a way to get more points in the season. Yeah, well, Patrick Vieira is doing his thing, at least early in the season. By the way, to James Benji's point about internationals, you know, a no-tow, everybody should really have ojo in Spanish, ojo to all those South American players and see what they do. Uh, during the international break, because obviously, you know, will the rules be more relaxed for these players coming and going? We will have to see the key. I, I, just on that, I believe, I believe yeah, they will be. They will. You know, I, I don't think this has been formalized, but from what I've heard, mm. the U- and this will affect US players as well, I believe, because some of the away games are in UK red list countries. But um, I believe there will be some level of exemption made available. It might be that they still have to quarantine for five days rather than 10 uh, or they have to train separately. But it shouldn't be quite the same crisis it was before, where Aston Villa and Tottenham are left without half a team. Yeah, um, pretty much. It should, it should all be sort, and that's big news for someone like Zach Steffen, Anthony Robinson. So a bit of a little boost there. For no, our, uh, absolutely right. So keep keep your eye on that one, everybody, as well. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we leave England, we move to Spain, and we talk about the dumpster fire. That is Barcelona. And by the time you're watching or listening, maybe Ronald Koeman's already at home sitting on his couch realizing that he doesn't have a job. But we will see. We will be right back. Que golazo weekend preview will return. Welcome back, everybody, to Kigo Lasso weekend preview. James Bench, Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce. Let's talk Barcelona. Let's talk Ronald Koeman. Midweek, they go back to another 3-0 loss in the Champions League. That's the first time since 2000, when Barcelona have lost back-to-back games uh, in the group stages. By the way, the last five games with Ronald Koeman in Europe, they have not won a game. They've conceded 14. They've lost twice. You know what did it for me? When he put on Gavi for PK and put Frankie de Jong as a center-back. That's all I will tell you. But right now, per Fabrizio Romano, Barcelona are now looking for a new manager. Will it happen in a few days? Will it happen before Atletico Madrid? Jimmy Conrad, I want you to fill in. Uh, first of all, Coleman said, I feel supported, very supported by my players here at Barcelona. And by the club, I don't know. Jimmy, talk to me about Ronald Probably Koeman. by his underwear. That's probably the only thing supporting him at this moment, keeping everything in place. But I'll say that. that That's not a sign I need. Ronald Koeman, Ronald Koeman knew what he was walking into when he took this job. But the possibility yeah. of Messi, of him leaving was real. And, and the possibility of Barcelona having or having to to really be transparent about their financial obligations and and the fact that they are way in debt and that they made some buy. He he knew what he was walking into. What I find funny is that people were trying to hype up Ronald Koeman like he was a good manager. He's got some strong Frank DeBoer vibes where he didn't really kill it at at Everton. I don't remember going, God damn, that Ronald Koeman, what a manager. Like that... (laughs) That never went into my brain. And and so, yeah, okay, he had a little short stint with the Dutch national team and did well. And then this is his dream job, being a former player for Barcelona. But I wonder here if, at some point, Barcelona has to look at it similar to Frank Lampard and Thomas Tuchel. Do you just make this change and make that happen? Rafa Benitez did work out at Madrid. They brought in Zidane, and, and that kind of unlocked a couple things. That said, when I look at that Chelsea team that Lampard had and the one that Benitez had, they had some really good team there, and they just kind of needed to hear a different voice and maybe be set up in a different way. And, and from Madrid's perspective, uh, Zidane smartly put in Casemiro, and that kind of unlocked everything. When I look at Barcelona, I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know what's going to solve it. They, yes, they have a lot of talented young players, but those young players I don't think are ready to take on the responsibility. And the old guys are looking real old. So 
they are in that 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 weird phase where they're just gonna have to suck it up. And I wonder how many Barcelona fans from about a year ago are now PSG fans because they're like, to hell with this. I'm gonna go follow oh, Messi. I know like three. I know like three, definitely. <laughs> I, I do I do uh, appreciate the increased amount uh since Messi left of being like I'm more of a player uh fan than I am a team, <laughs> a team fan. Uh uh, you know, I, I I like to follow the players wherever they go and support them. But uh, Barcelona, I, I, as Jimmy mentioned, when Coma came in, people called him courageous for taking the the situation. Uh, the the it was a dire situation. It was already Already ugly, and then he had this run of form that looked like he might actually lead them to a title, where they were on a great run late in the season last year. And he then, did win Copa del Rey as well. Like just you know, he did win a trophy as well. Just, yeah, just and, yeah. And it, it seemed like there was some sort of turnaround happening. What I don't understand now is whether Messi left or stayed or whatever, the club was still going to have this same financial situation. And I don't know why, maybe he's not the right manager for the job, but why him and the club haven't been able to sort of hold hands on basically working with the situation to say, hey, it's ugly, it's messed up, Messi's gone, we've got to rebuild, we're going to do this thing until they find another manager. But it seems like at a certain point, something happened behind closed doors where they turned their back on him or he, he realized that he didn't have the support that he needed. And now he's verbalizing that an exit basically is imminent. And I, I'm, I know it's not, he, he's not going to make the excuse and say, well, I don't have any spending power. I don't have whatever. He's now going to find all these other reasons to save face, which is ugly because again, if you were to reset expectations for Barcelona, take the finances out. We can blame the club all, all we want and they deserve the blame. We can blame the club for the messy debacle, but you still have quality players in that team where mm. years uh, that, that Real Madrid went, you know, where they won the Champions League, okay, silver lining, it's a huge trophy, but they didn't win the league and the league is still a huge priority and you still are are tinkering and working through those things. I think Barcelona could be able to find that silver lining to be able to say, hey, we're rebuilding, we've got young players, we've got to have all these changes, we've got financial issues and sort of bring the club back down to earth a little bit and, and reset the expectations. Start rebuilding La Masia because that's not what it once was. There's a, there's a rare opportunity, sort of what feels like a once in a decade or once in a however many years where they can hit the reset button and get back to the foundation of what made Barcelona great. But instead they're getting caught up in this whole, like, you know, that meme where it's, uh, it's, um, Spider-Man and Spider-Man and they've oh, three yeah, Spider-Mans yeah. and they're all pointing at each other. It's kind of like that. I was thinking right the now. dog and the fire, like you just said, everything's burning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting where we, I mean, Kuman, as, as he mentioned, talks about how he's kind of not being given what he wants, what, what he needs. Uh, he has got a lot of things through at a time when Barcelona don't have a lot of money to spend. And when you look at his judgment on players, that for me is, is as questionable as anything. You know, I think actually it's quite easy to be told these are the best players we've got in the academy, give them a go. And, and then you play them because you've got no choice. He pushed for the signing of Eric Garcia, who can't defend. He yeah. pushed for the signing of Luke de Jong, who can't score. He pushed for the signing of Jorginho Vinaldo, And I think that the silver lining on this disaster of a summer for Barcelona is that they didn't sign Jorginho Wijnaldum, who looks woeful. You know, he has got what Barcelona can give him, given the, the circumstances. And it, it, it's clear he's not happy. As the guy said before, he's a really difficult manager. Um, uh, you know, with the, lots of reports going around now about whether... Barcelona just might not be able to afford to pay him off. I've also seen reports elsewhere saying that, well, they haven't paid off the last two managers, so they might not pay off yeah, this Setien one. and Valverde are still owed money yeah. as we speak. Get I'm, in line. I, it, look, I don't, I don't think there's many more effective ways to spend money right now than to, to get Ronald Koeman out of the club. It's just a horrendous fit. 
he is, he, this is not, you know, he is living his dream, but it's turned into a, a nightmare. This is monkey's poor stuff. He's been given Barcelona at exactly the wrong time. He doesn't want to be there. My only worry is, you know, we look down this list of potential options. You've got someone like Andrea Pirlo. He'll take the job because he's probably not that good, at least on the basis, he, you know, he's got no track record. Or, or someone like Marcelo Gallardo, who I don't know much about. Maybe Luis, you can tell me more. Um, well, he's probably the great. best manager, probably the best manager in South America. His contract ends December 31st, but there are presidential election situations with River Plate as well. So it depends how much they persuade him. But Gallardo is incredible. But the question is always, do you want this nightmare yeah. of a job? That's the question. Like, If he's got one shot at top, you know, you know, we've seen this with someone like Tata Martino. You might only get one shot at top level management in Europe. Mm. Do you want it with this Barcelona team? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. One thing I'll add is I'm hearing rumors of Roberto Mancini, which I hadn't wow. heard before. And I thought that to be really interesting. Now, I don't think he's going to lead the Italian national team before the World Cup. So it seems pretty uh, premature, I think, to start throwing his name in the hat. But he, I think, would be a pretty good hire and, and something a little bit different. I don't know. An Italian manager at Barcelona would be would be something. So so I'm kind of curious as to what this is going to look like. But I fear that Barcelona, just because of how the last few seasons have, go- have gone, will rush into hiring somebody without maybe just like, let's actually get a plan. Let's let Kuman kind of see it out to the transfer window. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. And that's where I think is the big issue. Everybody's not on the same page about what to do and how to move forward. And you can see that trickle onto the field because they don't look like the same Barcelona that we know. So speaking about the Atleti game, Atleti are coming off a very good performance in Milan uh, and getting getting fortunate they got that penalty at the end. I thought a draw was a fair result, but Griezmann scored, which I think is important. Now you got Griezmann and Suarez getting to crack at their former club in Barcelona. Barcelona, probably the best time of the season to play them because they feel vulnerable. That said, Barcelona played six games in La Liga and haven't lost, and yet... The, the, it's a dumpster fire. You could, it's crazy to me that they haven't lost and yet everybody's so Atletier upset. Atletier at home, right? Atletier at home. home this yeah. one. So the Diego Simeone special is always 1-0 in this one. Atletier have scored nine of their 11 goals in the league in the second half. So if you're looking at that, maybe a draw in the first half. Atletier stealing it in the second half is like plus 340 is kind of where I would lean. Um, if, you, if you want them to win to nil or Atletier to win 1-0, 2-0, whatever it is, that's plus 205. I think Barcelona will score. I don't know who that would be. Maybe Memphis to buy. But for Atleti to win and, and Barcelona to score, is uh, or both teams to score, would be plus 305. Heath, go ahead. If you wanted to add anything before we move on on this one. No, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a it's as simple as 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 as, as Jimmy or as complex as, as everybody's made it to be so far, especially in that matchup uh, with that Atletico Madrid. Uh, and just... Purely on Griezmann, he got his first goal for the club uh, in the Champions League. He's played seven matches in the league, hasn't kind of cracked the nut on that one. So this is a, a good opportunity for him to show that, you know, when he is somewhat the man of the team, that he can he can arrive on big occasions. Yeah. All right. Well, let's play a fun game before I move on here. All right. Let's say Kuman is gone because per Fabrizio Romano, he, he's done. Barcelona are looking. So just give me a name right now. Don't, don't even explain it to me. Just tell me a name. Who would you see here at Barcelona? Not necessarily who you would like to see, but maybe who you think they're going to get. Uh, let's go with Bench. Who do you think? Ted Lasso. <laughs> That's what I said. Yes. Why not? Nick Saban. Absolutely. Yeah. Who do you think? Oh, oh, I love it. Yeah. That was great, Jimmy Conrad. If you're watching, by the way, on uh, YouTube, a really nice design there. I love it. Jimmy, who do you think? I, I'd go with Xavi. Okay. Shabby. Heath? Oh, man. I don't know. I, I just, 
It, it could only be a club legend. I could see somebody like a Thierry Henry wanting the job, who's not really favored as a manager, uh, but has has some legendary roots with the club. Maybe not him, but somebody at that, you know, somebody what at that What a resume, year. by the way, from Montreal to CBS Sports, assistant to Belgium. Well, that's, that, it's just somebody that I think uh, probably views the, the lens of the club a little bit jaded in a way that they would take that job versus realizing that, like, I'm running into a burning building and, you know, would take that yeah. as an opportunity to springboard and think that they could have have the ego to turn this thing around uh, right now. Maybe not him, but somebody, I guess, at that tier that, that's done some great things at the club but isn't quite Xavi status who, who wants to protect his reputation. Okay, I think that three the three youngest squad members of Barcelona should all manage the club until the end of the season. And then see what happens. By the way, Luis Suarez said to sport, Al Barça, there is a war that hurts the players. I personally recommend Xavi to wait. This is not the ideal time to get to the club. He's smart. He has to wait a moment. All right, Lucha Suarez, thank you for that advice. I'm sure Xavi uh, needs it uh, more than ever, but, you know, we'll see. Anyway, I wanted to stay with La Liga here for a second because there is um, some interesting news, definitely from a financial perspective. Um, our, our friends at The Athletic did a nice little explainer uh, regarding the salary cap and the operating budget for every club in La Liga for the new season. And when you look at the very top, it's Real Madrid who have seven, let me just lean in here, 739 uh, euros, I believe. That's an over 270 million euro increase. And then when you look all the way down to Barcelona, who are at 97 million. Obviously, when you think about these operating budgets, they're done in order to create some kind of balance and they're judged based on debt, uh, the money that you bring in, the money that comes out, et cetera. So Barcelona, no secret, right? The fact that, you know, financially they were a mess. That's why Messi isn't here in the first place. So I wanted to just open it up. Heath, I wanted to open it up in terms of a financial perspective. Real Madrid who wanted the Super League, who wanted all these things. They look pretty healthy in terms of their operating budget. And then Barcelona, 97 million for a club like Barcelona. By the way, Valencia being the, the one at the very bottom with 31 million, which is like, what, Ronaldo's pocket money like for a weekend? I don't know. Heath, what do you make of this? Yeah, it's it's tough, but these financial regulations are coming in play, obviously on the back of a pandemic where teams were hit really hard and there was just sort of frivolous spending from a number of these clubs, we, we continue to see a number, a lot of the super clubs find loopholes in the financial fair play system. It's up to these uh, leagues now, because if you look at the way that most of these leagues have sort of the pie of the media dollars, right? The money that's coming in from international and domestic TV contracts, it goes sort of the lion's share to the couple big clubs. Uh, and then it breaks down to where a lot of the smaller clubs you, you see, especially like in Italy, very few teams ever stay up after promotion they typically go back down again because of just the division of of that resource yeah to create these mechanisms i think is really important for the sustainability of the clubs obviously it makes it a little bit less sexy but because of that 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 sort of wild spending it forces the global transfer market through the roof uh when you have the ability to do anything and everything and we're talking about hundreds of millions of player uh, uh dollars spent on on players so to do that you're being forced to actually be accountable for your actions as a club you don't get to have four managers on your payroll that you've paid for the last 10 years without some sort of implications, right? You have to roll in all of these sort of debt to income ratios that 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 keep them a little more honest. Unfortunately, it's sort of what happened when 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 the Ranger situation happened, 
where somebody just decides at a certain point, hey, we're going to clean this up. And then the team that's in the worst shape at that moment is the team that gets hit the hardest. And they've all gone through their own periods of, of, of tough financial shape. Um, but the pandemic amplified that. And as again, as La Masia started producing less players and they started bringing in more players into the club, there was this increase in spending that now I think Barcelona is going to struggle with. But Real Madrid, I think, are set up really well for the future. And again, if you're out there uh, recruiting for your next team, Real Madrid are set up to have uh, the ability to 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 kind of run this league for the next years. I mean, all I would say is don't forget, there's no reason to be sympathetic to Barcelona here. I mean, you know, as Heath said, everything stopped at just the wrong moment. Um, but in the end, they, they had a decade where they had every possible advantage you could have. They had the most marketable player in the world, except maybe Ronaldo. You know, they are Barcelona. You you see their shirt anywhere you go in the world. Um, and then they had a huge, huge cash windfall for Neymar, which they they completely wasted, you know. This is not. This is not a. Uh, this is not European football or La Liga conspiring against Barcelona. This is Barcelona conspiring against themselves. Mm. What I would say, really quick, is after buying Eden Hazard from Real Madrid, excuse me, from Chelsea, Chelsea then went on that 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 they got that transfer ban right, and they couldn't spend. And it was really interesting because I think Florentino Perez was was taking notes that what ended up happening after that that time where they couldn't buy any players. They got to have a whole bunch of money to spend on once that transfer ban ended to, to get a whole bunch of players. I mean, it was it Havertz, Ziek, uh, Werner. I mean, it was crazy how many how many players they got to bring in because they had and they were well, they got forced to be patient. And I think Florentino Perez was watching that. Listen, we overspent probably on Eden Hazard, and now you know we got some money for Ronaldo, but this was just something I think he paid attention to. And in stark contrast to what Barcelona is doing, it feels like Florentino Perez has a plan. Now it could be an evil plan, like <laughs> the super league, but you know, there's also, he's got ideas and thoughts and now they're in a great position to, to potentially sign Erling Holland and Kylian Mbappe, this upcoming transfer window, which would be insane. So fair play to, for Real Madrid for putting themselves in that position. Yeah, a massive uh, opportunity right now for Real Madrid to really take hold, especially uh, on the pitch as well as they continue uh, to do well. All right, we're going to keep on flying here. Let's uh, fly through here our, our Serie A, which, by the way, you can watch on Paramount Plus. Just some matches to look out for. Fiorentina against Napoli. That's Sunday, 12 p.m. Eastern, as I mentioned, on Paramount Plus. AC Milan against Atalanta. Woo, baby. That's Sunday, 2.45 Eastern. Torino against Juventus as well. Has Allegri turned a corner? Is it finally settled now? But remember, Maybe. Dybala, Morata, <laughs> James already answered the question. And here's our Serie A roundup, by the way. Bologna, Lazio, Verona, Spezia, Sampdoria, Udinese, Sassuolo, Inter Milan, of course. All right, let's just quick thoughts. Just anything from that you're looking out for Serie A here. Uh, Jimmy Conrad. Yeah, I feel like that Napoli game is very interesting. They have won all six of their games. They're sitting on top of the table in Serie A. Has been fantastic. So for them to get a little taste of Fiorentina, who did beat Atalanta a little bit earlier this season and had a 1-0 lead uh, against Inter Milan before giving up three goals and were drawn 1-1 with Roma before losing. They've only lost twice this season. It's going to be a good test for Napoli in a lot of different ways. So I'm curious to see about this game. And then Atalanta, AC Milan, I think is going to be fantastic as well. Yeah, I would just say on that Juventus game, don't get carried away at all by what happened <laughs> in midweek. And two pretty sketchy 3-2 wins. 
The defense is fine. Uh, the attack when Dybala and Morata are back, and if you and you have Federico Chiesa in there, that'll be fine. But that midfield, it's uh, Locatelli aside, and they'll have players come back in like Arthur. It's really average. It, Rabiot was woeful mm. in midweek. I don't know what he brings to the team. Bentenko is going nowhere. The fullbacks look a bit old. Um, Prove me wrong, Juventus. I think, it, I think it's gone. It sounds like you're you're pro Weston McKinney then in that. <laughs> That's what it's. Uh, if I'm hearing this, it sounds like you're saying Weston McKinney is the best central midfielder that they have available, and maybe they should play him. He just maybe parties yeah, a little bit. And too I much. think it says everything about Juventus that Weston McKinney <laughs> yeah. might be one of their best midfielders. I, I full I fully agree with that. I mean, the, the upside for an American is you see a guy like that come on the field and he looks comfortable within the team. But when you look at the team, you're like, okay, the demand doesn't seem to be. Uh, what it was, even when when Ronaldo was there, where the, where there was just the pace and the expectation was even just a, a nudge higher. The, the the match for me uh, is is uh, the Atalanta match. Obviously, AC Milan. Um, I believe that's what it was, right? AC Milan. Uh, yeah, AC Milan Atalanta. Yeah. I was I was afraid that I maybe got that wrong, but um, <laughs> I think Luis Muriel is still is still out, but. Um, well, Duvan Zapata continues to to do well, and Malinovsky. Both Muriel's back. Or, Muriel's back. Muriel's he, he back. Played. Yep. Yep. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, then even better. Uh, then I don't know what team they're going to roll out. But on the flip side, AC Milan, Brahim Diaz continues to increase his role as sort of the new number 10 there. Uh, a player that I didn't know what his upside would be. He has kind of flashes of moments, kind of... Um, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name now at Man City-esque, but a, a young young attacking player. Um, Foden? Foden, yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting to the end of my brain power for the day. Uh, but, but, but like kind of had that attacking S where you're like, okay, yeah, bits and flashes are great, but can you do it? Can you stretch it out? Can you be... Can you have a higher level percentage of your through ball and your passing and dictate the flow of play? And he's he's continuing to step more and more into that role for a young player. Um, and so uh, he's one he's one to watch in this matchup as well. Absolutely. All right, let's keep moving on here. Uh, some other big games, by the way. Super Clásico, as we mentioned. I'm just going to direct you after this to go to our YouTube uh, channel because it's a great uh, conversation between Peter Coates, uh, Nico Cantor, and myself as they explain. River Plate against Boca Juniors at the Monumentales, 4 p.m. Eastern on Paramount Plus, by the way. But uh, there's another one over here. El Trafico as well. LAFC, LA Galaxy. Listen, um, Heath is already like squinting. He's not feeling good about Jimmy. Let's begin with you. Just very quick on this game. Yeah, I think this is uh, El, El Trafico unlike any other because both teams are limping into it. LA Galaxy have lost five of their last eight and the other three of that were draws. So they haven't won any games in their last eight, which is pretty surprising because everybody was kind of high on the galaxy there for a while. LAFC, not very good defensively, lost three straight games. It hasn't looked pretty for them. I don't really know which version of each team is going to show up, but because El Trafico always delivers, I think we're going to see a lot of goals and probably a high scoring draw is my, where I'm leaning. Hey, James Bench, guess what I did last night? I was doing the, I was doing the LAFC game broadcast uh, in the post game. I talked about, uh, I brought up, and don't take this out of context. I brought up the North London Derby of how it's just chaos. And if you look at the score lines of El Trafico, it has been chaos. There's no real history or foundation to build it on, but there is this personal sort of pride on the line within these games that they are very hard to predict. They're high yeah. scoring. There's been draws. There's been losses. There's been batterings during, during sort of the pandemic. Uh, it's been all of those things, but both these teams are coming into this in very different positions than they've ever come into it before, which is, as Jimmy mentioned, fighting for playoff spots and out of form, not trending 
upwards in any uh, by any stretch of the imagination and need this win to be able to kind of look at their seven seven or so games remaining in the season to be able to kick their way into the into the playoffs. But yeah, certainly the first time I've we've seen this where both teams are sort of down in the dumps and needing a result against their rival to 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 sort of kickstart their season. So I have a, I have a question. I've obviously been listening very carefully to all your thoughtful <laughs> analysis of of these two teams that I was already very aware of. So my big question uh, on this LA derby is the traffic that bad for this game? <laughs> it's always bad in LA. That's why like, you can never escape it, Bench. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah, I can. Tell oh, by the that. way, I, I think Landon Donovan's getting a statue this weekend too. So that's kind of oh, cool. that's cool. Uh, yeah. Goodison Park. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's at the Allianz uh, for, for his two month stint there. I love it. All right, well, let's uh, wrap up here. By the way, anything else I wish you could be an, keep an eye on uh, as we say goodbye? We have Falcao. Can he keep that you know that momentum alive? El Tigre as Rayo Vallecano face Osasuna. How about Leo against Marseille? That's Timo Weah against Conrad de la Puente as well. And Jimmy, you got the Marseille shared on i believe so anything to watch out for there and then we'll wrap it up yeah i actually gonna go double down on the super classico if you haven't seen river plate versus boca juniors before in argentina please make some time to make it happen now i'm a boca fan so i'd be leaning more towards watching the game at la Bombonera, where boca play as opposed to el monumental where river plate play but <laughs> and so that's well 50 percent it's 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 an unbelievable game it is beyond any I, i've been there before to see one in person it is a bucket list item if you want to go see a game and in some crazy ass environment and it's going to be fun to watch on TV as well. So make some time for it if you can. Boca, though, making me a little bit nervous. Only 11 goals scored in their 13 league games right now. So I don't know if Juan Roman Riquelme can come back and out of retirement and help, uh, but that would be that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only other thing I'd, I'd shout out, certainly not Super Classico related, but if anyone's short of anything to do on Saturday morning, uh, it is Coventry City against Fulham in the championship, third against Ooh, fourth. Baby. Coventry City, very much one of the great stories in English football right now, coming from out of the doldrums, hoping to get back to Premier League where they were very much an establishment club in the 1990s. So if that's not enough football for you, yeah, second year English football. I love it. I have a soft spot for Coventry City, thanks to uh, Dion Dublin. Of course, Heath Pierce ended. Yeah, the last one I'm going with, RB Leipzig played Bochum. I don't know, know if you remember recently, uh, but obviously Jesse Marsh still in a little bit of a, not hot seat, but a warm, lukewarm seat, kind of on level two of a three-level uh, seat heater, uh, are playing against Bochum. And if you remember when Bayern battered, then this could be their opportunity to also put a beating on Bochum. I think it was like six or seven nil or something like that. But uh, a, a chance for him to just sort of really round the corner uh, as a manager and sort of settle any doubts that he couldn't uh, keep this team together. I love it. I love it. And that is our weekend preview. Kigo Lasso. That's Jimmy Conrad. Thank you, Jimmy Conrad. Thank you. Thank you, James Bench. Thank you so much. Thank you, HP. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We'll be going live again on Tuesday and Wednesday to recap the action from match day one of the Champions League when it comes back. But also USMNT coverage beginning next week with Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce and so much more. Make sure that you follow James Bench's content as well on CBS Sports. Gigo Lasso Pod, YouTube, CBS Sports tab. I've run out of things to promote, but thank you so much. Have a great, great weekend. We will see you next time.